And I just want to spend uh, a short time just thinking about this. It's a story that's told in John chapter 6 and also Matthew chapter 14. Um, That latter one includes the account of Peter also. Peter uh, walking on the water. Now, Mark's gospel doesn't include that because Mark's gospel is an eyewitness account of Peter, and that's probably why he doesn't mention uh, himself. But I want us to just go through this and just to see some things that Christ does for us. We, when we hear this story, we often hear about Peter walking on the water, and we talk about what we can do in terms of our faith. But here the aspect is of Jesus walking on the water and what Christ uh, does. So first of all, let's look at the praying Jesus. Jesus went up a mountainside, verse 46, to pray. He sent the disciples away. He wanted to be alone. John tells us that after feeding of the 5,000, the crowd intended to come and make him king by force. Christ didn't want that. He needed to pray. Another crisis had come. The way to further usefulness in Galilee was blocked. He needed counseling and strength. Just think about this. Jesus was exhausted. He was busy. He was triumphant. His disciples needed him. The crowd wanted him. So what does he do? He goes up on a mountainside to pray. He was burdened, and his problems were mounting. The hostility of the Orthodox and of Herod Antipas, the political hotheads who wanted to make him a king as well. And I, I don't think he has the solution. I think he goes to pray. And I think we have an enormous lesson to learn from that, because we decide to do something or we think we have an answer about something, and we then pray about what we've already decided to do. I think if Jesus Christ, who was perfect, if Jesus Christ needed to pray, then often in our situations we will need to pray. Joe was talking about how um, that horrible blackness that occurs to you I know for some people, for some non-Christians, and even maybe for some Christians, this sounds ridiculous, but imagine the blackness that you're told when you're in a room and you're told that you've got cancer. But there's a deeper blackness. It's the blackness that comes when Satan assaults you and you're called to question the goodness of God. And we have an enemy, and we need to be men and women of prayer. We are faced with troubles and difficulties on every side. There are Christians, we, we actually, on the Busy Christian's Guide to Busyness last Wednesday when we were looking at this, we, we looked at how we live in a culture which doesn't like silence, doesn't like quiet, doesn't like to take time. And the notion of prayer, when you think about it, it does seem almost just a waste. You're not doing anything. You could be out doing something. 
But prayer is just so crucial and so vital and so important. And sometimes I think that God is going to have to drive us to our knees because we are so arrogant and we are so pig-headed and we so think that we can sort things out ourselves or we're so unwilling to face up to reality. But we need to be more like Christ. And it's just, there, there's just time where we, we back off. We back off from all the tyranny of the urgent, from all the pressures that are around us. And we leave. We go up a mountainside to pray or whatever the equivalent of your mountainside is. But he's interrupted. He's interrupted by concern for his disciples. From the hill, from the, the side of that mountain, he could see the boat was in trouble. It's the fourth watch of the night, we're told in verse 48. That is three o'clock in the morning. So at three o'clock in the morning, Jesus is up the mountainside praying. There's a storm. His disciples are rowing, and they have rowed all night. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. No matter how hard they rowed, they did not seem to be getting anywhere. They must have been shattered. But Jesus saw their trouble, and he came to them. The same way, he sees our trouble. He knows everything about us. When they were out on the lake in the storm in the boat, the disciples didn't know that Jesus could see them. When we are faced with the difficulties and the troubles that we have, in theory, we know that Jesus can see us, but I think often emotionally and in our hearts and in our minds, we don't know that he does watch over us. So he goes out to them in the middle of the night, walking on the water. In fact, this is almost amusing, verse 48, he was about to pass by them. He's just going to walk by them, and they see him. And they, what's their reaction? It's a normal reaction. They saw him walking on the lake. They thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. I've heard uh, last week when we looked at the the first part of this, when Jesus feeding the 5,000, you hear how some people want to explain this away, a miracle working Jesus. No, 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 that can't be. So the feeding of the 5,000, it was a wee boy who had a packed lunch, and he encouraged everyone else who was hiding their packed lunch to bring it out. Well, this one, how do you explain Jesus walking on the water? He wasn't really walking on the water. It was a sandbank, and he just happened to know what it was. Uh, Peter and James and John and Andrew, they're fishermen. They knew a sandbank no, it was Jesus walking on the water. Now, the, the great thing there is these verses that you see, the, 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 the Old Testament is full of this. It's about being God. Job 9, verse 8, he alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. Job 38, 16, have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Psalm 77, verse 19, your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. Psalm 107, verse 28 to 29. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of 
the sea were hushed. The Lord that we worship, the Jesus that we worship, is the God who controls the wind and the waves. That not just literally and physically, in a sense, that's almost easier than believing that He controls the storms that sometimes threaten to overwhelm us. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. He's going to walk by them. Why? Is it some kind of race? No. Is it Jesus saying, come on, I'm going to inspire you. I'll race you to the shore? It's no. He's, I think he, he wants them to call to him. So let's look at their response. They were terrified. They really were. Um, maybe there was an element also of tiredness, frustration, and confusion. Jesus comes. And they are just really frightened. They think he's a ghost. The, the, the Greek word is phantom, phantasm, actually. I'm, I'm, I don't know the answer to this question, actually. Do we believe in ghosts? There was a Jewish superstition that ghosts walked on water. Well, there's a huge amount of superstition today, so much superstition in so many ways. Uh, I know, I think, um, was, it, was it you, Chris? You got married on Friday the 13th. He did. Chris got married on Friday. The th- Chris and Sarah got married on Friday the 13th. Well, I'll tell you one thing. That would guarantee lots of hotels. You wouldn't have any trouble getting a hotel. No, exactly. Because all, all these people are superstitious. You can't get married. And, you know, if you see a ladder, if I see a ladder, I deliberately walk under it. But even now, there's still a little bit that says, oh, you see a ladder and a black cat. At the same time, you're going, uh-oh, because it's a superstition. There's all kinds of superstitions. Horoscopes. It horrifies me how much people go, are into horoscopes. I did something today. I looked at my horoscope. I thought you'd be amused at this. Um, you'll probably be pretty busy today. This is my horoscope for today. And it's likely that you'll be visiting with others or that they'll be dropping in on you. You might not really have the time for too much socializing, though since you'll probably have plenty of other things on your mind right now. Just realize you can't take care of everything today. You should be able to come out ahead, though if you're prepared to take advantage of any new opportunities that might be crossing your path at this time. You'll probably be feeling a little opinionated at the moment and will probably have plenty to say. Just be aware that people ought to be a little more willing than usual to listen to you right now. There you go. Now, you can go to any horoscope and you can look and say, wow, how is that so accurate? But you break that down, and you will find, oh, that's, you can find almost anything. They're all so generalized. But there are people who will not go out in the morning without looking at their horoscope. That was, by the way, from, I don't know, California psychics or whatever. Now, I looked at the bit. They have a love chart that tells you what the weather is going to be like in your, in your love life, for, and I'm not going there in that direction. But it's just, it's incredible. And I think, all right, there are people who look at it for a laugh and all that kind of stuff. But people really take that on board. There's, a, there's, there, there's something deep within us. You know, everyone likes to, well, not everyone, but some people like to say we are deeply rational beings who occasionally fears come in. What if it's the other way around? What if we're actually spiritual beings who are aware of many, many different things and what we need is, is not some hocus pocus, but what we need is Jesus Christ to come in his power, 
in our lives. See, look at look what Jesus does to calm them. Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. He basically is telling them to, to cheer up and to be bold. It's more than it's just me. It is I. It's tied in with the term Yahweh. Exodus 34, verse 6. He passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Jesus is walking on the water. He's saying, it is I, which in the Hebrew is Yahweh. Yahweh, I am. They were completely amazed. Verse 51. They were completely amazed, it says. Climbs into the boat. The wind dies down. Why? Because they'd had heart, they had hard hearts. They hadn't understood about the previous miracle, about the feeding of the 5,000. The heart is the feelings informed by the intelligence. They hadn't understood the miracle. They hadn't understood that Jesus is God. They hadn't understood that Jesus is the Lord of nature. They'd forgotten that he'd calmed one storm already. Matthew 14, 32. Truly, they said, you are the Son of God. They forgot it. That's what we do. We forget who God is. We forget who Jesus is. It has to be, we have to be reminded again and again and again. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. It's so easy to get into a spiritual drowsiness. What is it we have not understood or grasped? I don't think we're any better than the disciples. They had great difficulty in seeing Jesus as the Son of God, but then they did not have the cross and the resurrection. When things go well for us, we find it easy to believe But what about in the storms? Are we not just as easily terrified? They were terrified disciples. And then, lastly, it's just the faith of the people. The boat is brought to the shore. They land at Gennesaret. They get out of the boat. People recognize Jesus. They run throughout the whole region. They bring the sick on mats to wherever he is. Wherever he went into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched him were healed. Gennesaret is a three, uh, just a three-mile beach and a strip beyond that that uh, Josephus, the Jewish historian, records. There's not a plant that is rejected by its fertile soil. It was very fertile, so it was very densely populated It wasn't the peace and quiet that they'd gone for. They went basically to the most densely populated part of Israel apart from the city of Jerusalem. And on landing, Jesus is met by a crowd of people who bring their sick to him for healing. Some are seriously sick. They're carried on mats. The faith was, their faith was like that of the woman in chapter 5 who suffered from bleeding. All she wanted to do was touch Jesus. He had these tasseled garments, so they would just try and touch the tassels. They knew and believed that he could heal them. You know, sometimes people can be superstitious, but sometimes people can be so cynical that they miss the blindingly obvious. Christians can sometimes see very simple Christians can sometimes see spiritual truths to which theologians are blind. I think there's a real lesson for us here. People need Jesus and his healing power. 
And I'm not just talking about physical healing. And we genuinely and rightly do pray. I mean, we pray for our brother Joe, and we pray for Oliver Gill, and we pray for other people. And, uh, and, and so we should. We know that God doesn't heal everybody. And we know that ultimately, all of us will die. That's not a... We, the, the notion that there is healing in the atonement and that no Christian ever gets sick or ever get, dies is demonstrably false. But nonetheless, we do pray for healing. And it's right to do so. But there are all different kinds of healings. There's a, there, there's emotional healing that's needed. There's wounding and, and hurt that is deeply, deeply embedded in our lives. There's bitterness and jealousies and resentments and all kinds of things. There's broken relationships that desperately need healing. We live in a broken society that needs heals. I think that one of the simple messages we have to give to people is that Jesus is the healer and that everyone who comes to him will be accepted. We just come. Now, if we come to Jesus and he doesn't heal a particular thing, a particular problem is not sorted out. We don't turn around and say, well, okay, I don't believe in you. It does mean, as the Apostle Paul came and prayed three times that his thorn in the flesh would be removed, it just means that God's strength is made perfect in weakness. These people came to get healing. We want people to come to Jesus and to be healed. But they need more. They need teaching. They need to know Jesus. They need to commit themselves to him. There's a coming to receive, but also a coming to give. When we receive from Jesus, we also come to give worship and to acknowledge who he is. Like the disciples, we are also often caught up in storms. And we are in storms where we do not enjoy the immediate felt presence of our Lord. But he comes to us. He comes and calms the storm. I have to say, personally, where I find this is, and it's why I've, I've, I've just, it's so important for me about coming to church and being with God's people and sharing together. Because, yes, many times when I'm alone, you, you feel you're conscious of God's presence. But never so much as when you're with God's people. Not all the time. Sometimes you feel dry. Sometimes you're really struggling. But there have been so many times when I've come to worship and really struggling with so many different things. And the experience that Joe described of crossing that door and coming in to the presence of God. Psalm 73 as the psalmist saying, I just looked, I looked at the wicked, and I saw that they prospered, and I thought, this is not fair, this is not right, this is not just. Where are you, God? And the psalmist in Psalm 73 had such deep doubts and deep discouragement and deep depression that he couldn't even speak to other believers in case he caused them to doubt. He had such doubt that he felt that if he stood up and spoke, or if he asked, or if he said anything, he would disturb other people. But he said, then I went into God's house and I understood what their fate was. And I understood, who do I have in heaven but you, O Lord, alone? And on the earth there is none I desire except you. 
Christ comes to us in the midst of the storm. He calms the storm. We see His face. The knowledge, the power, the wisdom, and the love of Jesus Christ still remains with us. A sunshine faith, which only exalts and rejoices in Jesus as Savior when everything is going really, really well, is a useless faith. The faith that can go through the deepest storm, not as as we saw this morning, not because of our faith, but because of who it is in, because of who Jesus is, changes absolutely everything. We pray for Joe that he would have healing. We pray whatever your particular troubles or my particular troubles are, we pray that God would sort them, that God would deal with them. That's a genuine and a real prayer, and we look for it. But there's a more important prayer, and the more important prayer is this, that whatever happens, He is with us through it all. It's the worst thing for a Christian to lose the presence and the blessing of God. And the irony is that it's sometimes in the most excruciating pain, in the most twisted of circumstances, Lord, surely you can't mean this. How can this be? How can this be right? But it's in that that we know even more of the presence of Christ. It's my hope and my prayer for each of you that whatever your circumstances, whether you're sailing with the wind at the moment or whether you're rowing against the wind, that you would know that Jesus is not only on the mountainside seeing what's happening to you, but He comes to you and He walks on the water and He is with you whatever lies ahead. All who touched Him were healed. He touches us. We reach out to Him. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, it's a picture we recognize of people who are struggling, battling against the elements. People who think that you're not around. People who think that you've left them people who are frustrated and worn out and tired and angry. And yet you walk over the waves. The wind is not a problem to you. Every single circumstance we face, Lord, not one is out of your reach and out of your touch. So we call to you, We call to you for healing. We pray, we do pray for physical healing for Oliver Gill and for Joe and for others whom we know who are ill. We pray, our God, that you would have mercy upon them and their families. We pray, O Lord, for those of us who are faced with doubts and fears for different reasons. Those of us who are worn out, those of us who are weary in well-doing, 
those of us who experience different kinds of darkness, different storms, may we see you walking on the water, coming alongside the boat that we are in, calming the waves. Lord, we bless you that there is no circumstance out with your control. Help us to look at you at all times. Give us the strength to live for you. Bless us as we seek to serve you in the week that lies ahead. For we ask it in your name. Amen.